Amen. Didn't Jeremy do a great job last week preaching the gospel? Amen. Thank you, Jeremy. Appreciate you so much, brother. Appreciate your time and dedication and all you do for the Lord. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. And as you're turning to Ephesians chapter 1, when you locate that, if you don't mind, pull out your listening guide. Did you get one of these when you came in? I would love for you to follow along. If you don't have one of these, Marvin will get one to you. Just raise your hand if you need a uh, bulletin or a listening guide. We've even got a lovely assistant named Serenity today. Yeah, thank you, sister. All right. Pull out those listening guides. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1, and we are going back to verse 1. Brother Steve, wasn't that where we were at when you left? I was, but guess what? Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 are very, very, very meaty. Say meaty. Yeah, Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 is very, very meaty. If you don't get Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, your Christian life will be disastrous. Let me just say that. If you don't know and understand, and if you're not convinced, of the great truth and the meatiness of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, your Christian walk will be a disaster. Because if you don't know who you are, you've saw the TV shows, you've saw the movies where people hit their head and they get amnesia. You might even know someone, maybe you even went through that sometime in life. But you know what I'm talking about, amnesia. People People go through a traumatic situation and then they don't know who they are. How would you like to wake up tomorrow morning with amnesia and have no clue who you are, where you're at, where you come from, the people surrounding you? You you just don't know nothing. You're You're at a total loss for who you are. Would that not be a miserable existence? It would, wouldn't it? Well, as Christians... If we don't fully and truly know who we are in Christ Jesus, that is a miserable existence. When we don't know who we are, it's like the passage of Scripture that says we'll be, ta- we'll be tossed to and fro from this wave and that wave, and we never know where we're going. We never know who we can lean on, who we can depend on. We don't know if we're in Christ or out of Christ. We don't know if God is loving us today or not loving us today. We don't know if God is mean and hateful today or God is loving and kind today. When we know who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ, it settles all matters of Christianity, and we live productive, God-honoring, Christ-honoring Christian lives. It's so important to know who we are, who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pause for just a moment and go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to be back in the pulpit of Hope in Christ Fellowship. We're thankful for those that are gathered uh, in our presence here in this building today, we're thankful for those who are watching by live stream and even those that will watch in days and weeks and months to come through our live stream ministry. And Father, we're just thankful that you love us and you care for us. We're thankful for salvation that's been provided to us as a free gift because of your love for us and for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's death, burial, and his resurrection and God, we're thankful for the, for the Holy Spirit who is the down payment of heaven for us who know you as Lord and Savior. 
And we're thankful that Jesus has not abandoned us when he came back to heaven, but he went away to prepare a place. And Father, we're thankful for the promise that he told us, if I go away, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, you may be also. In the meantime, Father, we, we, we must know and help us to, to know today and gain more understanding and more satisfaction of who we are as your children, who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ, and the purpose that our life is here on this earth, Father, that it's not about me and it's not about them, that it's all about Jesus Christ, and we need to be living fulfilling, productive Christian lives for the kingdom above all else, especially in the time that we find ourselves living in. Father, this morning, give us minds to understand Give us eyes to see, ears to heart, uh, ears to hear, and hearts to follow you today. And we pray above all else, if anyone today doesn't know Christ as Lord and Savior, that today as the word goes forth, you'll grant to them faith and repentance and let them come to know you as Christ and Savior, Lord of their lives. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. What we're going to do to begin with is I'm just going to open the fire hydrant and just flood you with a massive amount of scriptures. They're in your listening guide. There's a purpose to all of this. I want you to look at these scriptures very carefully and see what they're saying. They're great truths. We'll begin in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, chapter 6, verse 5 and 6. It says, The Lord, say the Lord. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man, the wickedness of mankind, was great in the earth, and that every intention, say every intention, every intention of the thoughts of mankind's heart was only evil continually, and the Lord regretted, the Lord regretted that He had made man on the earth, and it grieved Him to His heart. In the book of Leviticus Chapter 26, verse 27 and 28 says, But if in spite of this you will not listen to me, this is God talking to His people, but if in spite of what is coming your way you will not listen to me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you. Listen, in fury, and I myself will discipline you sevenfold for your sins. Prophet Jeremiah 17.9, God told him to tell the people this, the heart is deceitful above all things. Human heart, man's heart, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand how detestable? Who can understand how deceitful? Who can understand how desperately sick the human heart truly is? Psalms chapter 11, verse 4 and 5. The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see. His eyes see everything all the time. His eyes see. His eyelids test the children of men. Verse 5 says, The Lord tests the righteous, but His soul, get this, the Lord hates, say hates, Is anybody surprised to see that in Scripture, that the Lord hates? Brother see, I thought God was a God of love. He is. But He's also a God of hate. He hates sin. God hates sin. The Lord tests the righteous, but His soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. 
Romans 2 verse 5. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, the heart is wicked above all things we read in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Paul is writing to the, to the Roman Christians and he says, but because of your hard and impotent heart, you are storing up wrath. Say wrath. You're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And in the book that we're currently studying in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, among whom we all, say all, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, sinful flesh, carrying out the desires, the evil desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, by birth, by nature, children of wrath. In other words, when you was born into this world, dreading your trespasses and sins, you was automatically an inheritant of God's wrath. You didn't have to take a breath. When you was born, you was an object of God's wrath. Why? Because you was born wicked. You was born dead in your trespasses and sins. You was born a sinner like the rest of mankind. In the book of Colossians chapter 3, verse 6, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God's coming. It's inescapable. Revelation chapter 14, verse 10 and 11. He also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of His anger. And He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Verse 11, And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and forever. How long does hell last? Forever and forever, the permanent pouring out of God's wrath in hell upon sinners and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and forever and they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast, they're worshipers, but they're worshiping Satan. These are not believers. These are people who are lost, dead in their trespasses and sins. These worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name, the mark of the beast. Some of y'all saying, Brother Steve, I don't know what you did on vacation. <laughs> but where did you come up with all of that? I thought we were talking about who we are in Christ. We are. But we also need to know about those who are not in Christ. We've got to know, we've got to know about lost sinners of whom we were all born into this world, lost sinners. And the scriptures that I just shared with you is what the Bible explains is the position of lost sinners who are dead in their trespasses and sins. They're born with the nature of sin. And they are their entire life storing up the wrath of God. Their hearts are continually evil. They're so deceitful that we can't wrap our mind around how deceitful and evil the lost human heart is. 
And because of their stubbornness, because they deny God and deny the Lord Jesus Christ and deny the Holy Spirit and deny the Bible, they will die in their trespasses and sins and they will be cast into everlasting hell for all of eternity that has no end. And they will never have rest day or night. Why? Because they are worshipers of Satan. If you're not a worshiper of God, you're a worshiper of Satan. If you don't belong to Jesus, you belong to Satan. You belong to the devil. Over 300 times, over 300 times, the Word of God speaks of people being sinners. Over 600 times, the Bible talks of the wrath of God burning against those sinners. I just shared with you several of those. Some might say, wow, Brother Steve, I've I've never heard this. I've never heard this. I've always heard, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall never perish but have everlasting life. That's a wonderful verse, and that is the way out of God's wrath. That's the way out of hell. That is the way into Christ. That is the way into heaven. But this exists for a reason. Sinners need to know who they are as much as Christians need to know who they are. Why have people in the 21st century, why are they no longer hearing these truths? Because people love lies over the truth. And pastors love crowds over truth. And preachers love popularity over truth. We live in a therapeutic culture. Can I get an amen? We live in a therapeutic culture where everybody is a good person. I cannot tell you the number of funerals I've attended in the last two years. Nobody's going to hell anymore. Nobody. Everybody is getting angel wings and floating into heaven. Now, I don't want to hurt your feelings. But something that really troubles me is people talking about human beings dying and getting their angel, getting their angel wings and going to heaven. That's a lie. Angels are created beings. I'm off the subject, but I've got to straighten this out. Angels are angels and people are people. And angels don't become people and people don't become angels. No people in heaven today have angel wings. Only the angels have angel wings. And you're not going to get a set when you get there. Okay? Why not? Because God said no. And God's God, okay? Now, y'all understand that. I'll move on if you do. That's just a pet peeve of mine. We live in a very therapeutic culture where everybody is a good person. Nobody dying is going to hell anymore according to culture because they're good people. I've been preaching this since the day God called me to preach. Good people don't go to heaven. Bad people don't go to hell. Saved people go to heaven and unsaved people go to hell. It's that simple. It's that simple. 
We're told to love ourselves. We're told to love ourselves. We're, we're told to esteem ourselves. We're, we're told to embrace ourselves so that we can actualize our potential and God exists to bring us glory. Hogwash. Hogwash. Newsflash. The majority does not determine morality. God determines morality. God determines who is good and who is bad. Christians are good because we're like God, and lost people are bad because they're like the devil. You will die one day. And you will stand before the righteous judge. And you will give an account for every deed done in this body. You will not answer to a mirror. You will answer to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be held accountable before the Maker of all things who is infinitely holy. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the lying liberal media tells you. It doesn't matter what the therapist tells you. It doesn't matter what the philosopher tells you. It doesn't matter what the spiritual guru tells you. It doesn't matter what your friends tell you. It doesn't matter what your mama tells you. It matters what Jesus tells you. It matters what the Word of God tells you. Now for the non-Christians, let me just warn you of this. For the non-Christians, I want you to know that you are living in an imminent path of God's wrath. It's coming upon you. It's going to come upon you. Because you're a sinner by birth and by nature and by your own choice. Lost people are lost because they're born lost, but they stay lost because they want to stay lost. It's their choice. They love their sin. They love the pleasure that the sin brings them. They love their sinful lifestyles, and they revel in that sinfulness. However, we're fixing to make a right-hand turn. Somebody shout amen. About all I can stand to that, right, brother? However, for those who are in Christ, for those who are Christians, let me ask you a question. Do the verses that I read from the time I began up through Revelation chapter 14, 10 and 11, do those verses apply to you? Somebody said, yes. I, I don't, I, sorry, you're wrong. Every verse that's in your listening guide from Genesis to Revelation 14, those verses do not apply to God's people. God's people are in Christ. We're new creatures created in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary 
endured the wrath we deserved so that we never have to. God's people will never, ever experience one ounce of His wrath because Jesus suffered His wrath for you and for me. We are in Christ Jesus. The, the, the death that He died on the cross of Calvary was the death you deserved and I deserved because the wages of sin is death. So Jesus died for us in our place. He died a horrible, cruel death that I deserved and you deserved. He did that as a gift to you and me. Now, we will die a death, but we won't die a death like Jesus died because nobody will ever die a death like Jesus died except for those who are not God's people. He suffered the totality of God's wrath so that God's people would never have to endure it. How does God see the believer? Well, however God sees the believer is how the believer should see the believer. Amen? Who God says you are is who you are. He's the creator and we're not. Amen? As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, when when we started this series, I'm convinced of this, that the biggest crisis in the New Testament church of the 21st century is this. We have an identity crisis. We we don't know enough of God's Word to know who God says we are as His children. We have an identity crisis. And so two weeks ago, we began looking at this book in Ephesians. And the first message was about the impact of our union with Christ. See, when we come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior... All the old passed away, and behold, everything became brand new. If you, as you were, how many in the room knows before you came to Christ, you was a horrible, 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 horrible sinner? Brother Steve, I just, I wasn't that bad. I mean, you just kind of exaggerate. No, you was horrible. You was horrible. Let Let me just remind you how horrible you was before you came to Christ. You had a hard and impotent heart. And apart from Christ, you were storing up God's wrath for yourself on the day of wrath. God hated you when you was lost. God's soul hates the wicked and the ones who love violence. That was you when you were lost without Jesus Christ. Your heart was deceitful. Above everything known to man, your heart was deceitful. You were desperately sick and wicked. You were so sick and wicked that you couldn't understand it, and I couldn't understand it, and humans can't understand how terrible we really were. Now, now the key word there is, that's who we were. That's who we were, but it's not who we are. Can I get an amen? It's not who we are. So today, we're going to dig in a little deeper and find out who we are. Now then, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Aren't you glad to get that behind you this morning? Yeah, that's kind of like getting heartburn before you eat a good meal, ain't it? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Paul, the writer of this letter of Ephesians, as was Paul, the writer of the letter to the Philippians, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, you only become, 
You only come into the Lord Jesus Christ. You only become a believer by the will of God. Paul is an apostle because it was God's will for Paul to become an apostle. You are a believer today because it was God's will for you to become a believer. And he says this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, there's the introduction. Who's he writing to? He says, to the who? To the saints. Said the same thing to the Philippians, didn't he? To the saints. Paul's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, to the believers in Ephesus. Therefore, the believers, the church, the people who come together and made up that congregation, Paul says, hey, I got some good news. God says, not only are you saved, not only are you His children, but you are saints. And because you're saints, you're faithful in Christ Jesus. Now that in Christ Jesus is, is, is a few of the most important words we'll read in all of Scripture. By the will of God, you're a saint because you are in Christ Jesus. And because you are in Christ Jesus, Paul says, Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. Reminds me of this past week being at the ocean. You know, the water, it just ebbs and flows and ebbs and flows. And that's the way the love of God and the kindness of God and the grace of God and the peace of God is. It just washes ashore and it goes back out. It washes ashore and it goes back out. And that's who we are and what we are to enjoy as God's people, as saints in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who do you think you are? A saint. Can you say that this morning? I mean, do I need to belabor this point or do you understand today you are a saint of God? As a believer, you're a saint. Start living like a saint. What does a saint live like? He he and she lives like Jesus. Because we're in Jesus. And Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Go where I go. Do what I do. Say what I say. Love like I love. Sacrifice like I sacrifice. When the world sees us, they should see Jesus. And the more they see Jesus in us, the more they should hate us. And that's the badge of honor. world hates me. Woo! If the world loves you, you're sick and pitiful and your heart is desperately wicked and you're lost and dead in your trespasses. The Bible says, Woe to the man that everyone thinks and speaks well of. Steve, I don't like that kind of preaching. I didn't say I liked it either. But I don't write the mail. I just deliver it, okay? Here's the question. Is a Christian's identity, is a Christian's primary identity sinner or saint? Let's vote. Let's vote. How many of y'all walked into this building this morning believing with all your heart, even as a Christian, how many of y'all would consider yourself more of a sinner than a saint? Let me see your hand. Raise it up. It's okay. It's okay. See, sin continues to be part of what you do part of the time. 
But sainthood in the Lord Jesus Christ is who you are all of the time. Does that make sense? Now, now let's talk about that for just a moment. If, if you sin all of the time, if you sin more than you don't, then you probably are not a saint. Because if you can sin all of the time and sleep well and live well and go about life, you're not in Christ Jesus. You're not. Or Steve, don't judge me. Don't live like the devil. Hello? The believer's identity according to the Word of God is To the saints. To the saints. How many of you all, if you was writing a letter to a church, wouldn't start out saying, to the saints? How many of you would say, you bunch of sinners? I know who you are, I know how you're living, and you all need to straighten up. How many would probably start that away? To all of the sinners in Monterey, Tennessee, I write unto you. Our position is in Christ. Therefore, our identity is in Christ. Now then, do you think the church at Ephesus had any bad apples in it? If people are there, there's some bad apples. Can I get an amen? Do you think anybody there was annoying? You think anybody there gossiped? You think anybody there showed up Sunday morning hung over again with their pregnant girlfriend? Do you think all these people wore halos? Do you think they carried harps around? They were people. And they were people just like you, and they were people just like me. But they were in Christ Jesus. And when you're in Christ Jesus, you are a saint. This church, our doctrinal statement, proclaims that we believe and teach the doctrine of total depravity. Total depravity. Now, total depravity does not mean utter depravity. Okay? We are not as bad as we could be. But in our fallen state, without Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are depraved. We are deplorable. We're detestable. What that means is our being... When we're born into this world, our being, our nature, is infected and affected by sin. We're sinners by nature. We don't think God's thoughts. There was five hellions running around the condo in Florida this past week. And I ain't talking about the adults. I'm talking about the grandkids. You get along for five minutes and argue for 30. And get along for five minutes and argue for 30. Who taught them to behave like that? Their nature. Their nature. 
We don't desire God's will. We don't speak God's words when we are not in Christ. We, we don't do what God would have us to do because in our fallen state, in our sinful state, our loss without Jesus state, we're not who God made us to be. It's only when we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's only when, when we're born again. It's only when we're born from above. It's only when we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's only when God positionally positions us in Christ that we leave that depravity behind and we become the saints of God. And that's a radical change. So here in verse 1, at the very top of this letter... Paul is saying, let's start here, because if you don't know who you are, you won't know what to do. If you don't know who you are in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will have no idea how to be His church, how to be His people, how to be about the kingdom work in this world. You'll just keep on being worldly, and you'll just keep on thinking worldly, and you'll just keep on uh, pursuing the things of this world if you don't know clearly who you are, and most importantly, whose you are. Number one, Christians, you are a saint by the authority of God's Word. Do, do, we, do we, are we there? Now, you're not taking my word for it. Are you taking God's Word for it? Now, it says it there, it says it there, it says it there. Most importantly, it says it here. Okay, let me just read it one more time out of the book. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints. Say saints. Do, do you believe this book? Alright, so you're a saint. Positionally in Christ, you are a saint. You still have some sin in your life, and you will continue to have some sin in your life as long as you're breathing the air of earth. But sin will not dominate your life. It will be a very, very small, minute part of your life. And when you do sin, you will fall under conviction and it will grieve you and you will cry out to God for forgiveness and you'll repent and turn away from that sin and continue being the saint that you are. Can I get an amen? Okay. A saint is remorseful over sin. Now when I started this message, I started out very strong with those scriptures from Genesis to Revelations on purpose because I wanted to speak to those who don't have much of a conscience. You know that there are people that have very weak consciences and then you have those that have very hardened consciences, right? So the difference between speaking to someone that has a soft conscience, just like my daughter Chelsea. When Chelsea was a little girl... I never once spanked her because my look was worse than a spanking to her. Now, she didn't go without spankings. Michelle almost beat her to death, but that's different, you know. That's woman to little girl. I, I went to spank her one time, and my I, I could not do it. She, I'm a big, gruffy old man, and she's a little bitty old girl. She needed it. But after I talked to her for about two minutes, you know, she was curled up the floor in the fetal position, sucking her thumb, just because just daddy got on to her a little bit. You understand what I'm saying? That soft conscience. But I raised twin boys too. 
They didn't have soft consciences. You know, you had to raise your voice to them. You had to tell them who you was and remind them who they was. Can I get a witness? The same, the same thing when you're preaching. There are people in the room that you can, you can quote those scriptures or read those scriptures that I shared with you at the beginning of this message from Genesis to Revelation, and they'll curl up in the floor in the fetal position sucking their thumb. They're, they're just terrified now that you're talking to them and they've lost their salvation and they're no good and it just confuses them and tears them all to pieces. That's why we must know who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. But then there's those that have the hard conscience that you have to blast them on occasion to peel some of that back to let them know who they really are dead in their trespasses and sins or those who they are in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you have to remind them, this is not you. This is those that don't know Christ. But the point is, saints are remorseful over their sin. Now there's two words in the Bible. Two words in the Bible that relate to people. One is conviction and one is condemnation. As a saint of God, as a Christian, as a believer, those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we are not under condemnation. We were born condemned, but Christ took our condemnation on the cross of Calvary We are no longer under condemnation, neither will we ever be under condemnation. But when we as saints trip up, mess up, commit a sin, we do fall under conviction. And we've got to understand and know the difference. If you don't know who you are, you don't know how to live. If you don't know who you are, you cannot effectively live out the Christian life. And Paul is so eager for this church at Ephesus to get this, know this, understand this. That's why dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of times throughout these six chapters in the book of Ephesians, he says, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. He's convincing them of who they are so they'll know what they are and whose they are and what to do and how to live life. My fear is for those who have a tender conscience that you'll not understand what it means to be a saint of God when you read scary scriptures like I shared with you in the beginning of the message. So let me show you the difference between conviction and condemnation. Now, I have experienced this time and time and time And time again, and Jeremy deals with this constantly. Young people who are in their early walk with the Lord, they know what conviction is because that's how they became a Christian. The Word of God went forth, and the Word of God condemned them of their sins. And as they were being condemned of their sins by the Word of God, conviction set in, and conviction drew them to the Lord Jesus Christ. And for the rest of their life, just like for the rest of my life, I recall I recall the condemnation of being dead in my trespasses and sins. And I recall that as that condemnation moved into my life, so did conviction. 
And as a baby Christian, we don't know how to separate the two. Christians are not under condemnation, but Christians will often fall under conviction. But if you don't know the difference, you'll spend most of your life when you do eventually trip up and commit a sin, you'll think God is condemning you and God will never condemn you again, but He will convict you. Now what's the difference? Condemned people go to hell. Convicted people go to heaven. If you don't know the difference, if you don't know who you are in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to live a miserable existence as a Christian. Conviction is from God. Condemnation is from the devil. Conviction leads to life. Condemnation leads to despair and fear and guilt. Well, Brother Steve, I just believe Christians all feel guilty. Why? Your sins have been forgiven, forgotten, erased. Washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. They exist nowhere but in your mind and in the mind of the enemy, Satan. God has no recollection of them. When He forgave you, He forgot them. He washed you clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. They don't exist in His record book. Why do they continue to exist in your record book? Because you don't know who you are in Christ. And that leads to a miserable existence. Conviction ends in joy. Conviction draws you out of sin into Jesus Christ, and that brings great joy. Philippians, can I get an amen? Conviction ends in joy. Condemnation ends in sorrow. Now just be listening to me. Conviction is from God. Conviction leads to life. Conviction ends in joy. Conviction makes us want to change. Condemnation convinces you you'll never change. Which side of this do you want to be on? The condemnation side or the conviction side as a child of God? You want to be on the conviction side, don't you? Why? Because conviction's from God. Conviction leads to life. Conviction leads to joy. Conviction leads to change. Conviction leads to a new identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. Condemnation leads to an old identity in sin as a servant of Satan, the enemy. Conviction brings about specific awareness of specific sins. Condemnation brings vague uncertainty about what what sin. I mean, sin's everywhere. See, condemnation is confusing. Conviction is very specific. Conviction looks to Jesus. Condemnation looks inward to self. And conviction is a blessing. And condemnation is a burden no one can bear. In verse 2, Paul says, Grace and peace. Grace and peace. Are those words of condemnation? Grace. Peace. To you, the saints, from God our Father. You're in Christ Jesus, God your Father. Yes, He will send conviction your way, but you're... Out from under condemnation. I want you to see the difference. I need you to see the difference between conviction and condemnation. And the difference is the character of God the Father and Satan himself, the adversary. The difference between conviction and condemnation is the source. Conviction is from God. Condemnation is from the devil. 
Satan, Satan does not want you to escape your past identity as sinner. If he can, if he can constantly pull you back into that identity as sinner versus allowing you to live out in front of that in sainthood and forgiveness, that he has it right where he wants you. You'll live in constant defeat and constant despair. Satan doesn't want you to have any hope for a future. Satan wants you to exist constantly in shame. He wants to remind you. He wants to condemn you because he wants to destroy you. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. Now how does God the Father act in contrast to how Satan the accuser and the adversary? Satan stands at a distance and screams and hollers and reminds you of who you used to be and reminds you of what you used to do. God is that loving Heavenly Father who comes to you presenting conviction of sin when you're guilty of sin, but God embraces you because God loves you, because He's the Father and you're the Son and you're the daughter. And God will address whatever sin you're involved in very specifically. He won't be vague. He won't be vague. Let's just say the sin is... Greed and, and, and the desire for the things of the world and worldliness. God is going to come up and, and, and embrace you and put His arm around you and remind you, hey Steve, you are my son and I love you, but I see that you are struggling with the desire of the things of the world and greed and wealth and the things the world can give you. So God's being very specific. And God's saying, so me and you together, we're, we're going to deal with this and, and we're going to work our way through this and away from this. Steve, because I love you and I care about you. And Steve, I need you to know there's pleasure in sin for a season, but the end thereof leads to death and destruction. And he teaches me and he coaches me through it. He doesn't condemn me. He doesn't show up and kick me to the ground and say, listen, you're a sinner. I thought you was a saint. What's, what's, what's up? Why, why are you acting like this? Good grief, Steve. Do you not remember I sent my only son to die for you on the cross? How many times I got to remind you of this? Is that how you see God working in your life? Beating you up? Reminding you of your past? No, that's the enemy. God the Father embraces us. He chastises us. He brings specific attention to specific sins. And he says, this is not okay. And I'm not going to tolerate this. And, and, and I'm going to bring about change, but we got to do this together because God's not going to force that on us, but he's going to walk through it with us. And we're going to wind up being delivered from that because we are saints, not sinners. 
because we're in Christ, not in the world. And we have to be reminded, and that reminding is called conviction, not condemnation. Romans chapter 8, in verse 1, I don't know how much more clearer it could be worded and put. There, Say this with me, say it with me. There is therefore now, pause, Laying in the bed last night, thinking about this verse. And that word now just jumped off the page and preached all night long. Now is present tense. Now I've got a clock up here that I totally ignore. But it says it's 11.42 a.m. 11.42 a.m. is now. 11.41 a.m. is not now. 11.43 a.m. is not now. 11.42 is now, right? But when we do get to 11.43, it's going to be what? And when we get to 11.44, out of stage, we're going to be where? Now. There is therefore now. That is an always present tense word. So, Steve is alive at 11.42. It's now 11.43. Now, right now, there is no condemnation to Steve Looper because I'm in the Lord Jesus Christ. And at 11.44, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's present tense always. Do you understand that? That's what Paul is explaining. You are a saint of God because you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Doesn't mean you're currently perfect. means you're currently convicted and loved of the Father. And He is in the process of sanctifying you, which is perfecting you. And you will one day be glorified when you close your eyes on this side of eternity and wake up over there. You will be fully glorified and fully perfect. And in the meantime, if you're a saint of God, there is therefore right now, always present right now, No condemnation. Say no condemnation. Now how much condemnation is there in the life of a Christian? None. No. No condemnation. Not just a little. None. No condemnation for those who are what? Bingo. In Christ. Now if you're in Christ, there is no condemnation, but there is ongoing conviction. Know the difference. Conviction does not condemn It coerces us to the Father and away from sin. Okay? There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Where does this lead us to? A saint. A saint is powerful over sin because we have God's power over sin Did Christ Jesus come to this earth born of the Virgin Mary? Did He live a perfect, sinless life the entire time He was here on planet earth? How did He achieve that? Because He possessed the power over sin. We saw immediately after John the Baptist baptized him, he was carried away of the Spirit into the wilderness and was tempted 40 days and 40 nights. And during those 40 days and 40 nights, he did not eat a morsel of anything. He fasted and prayed. And he was tempted 
of Satan, the enemy. And he sailed through it perfectly by the power of his Father in him. You are a saint in the Lord Jesus Christ if you are a Christian and the same power, say same power, the same power that Jesus possessed then and possesses today, you possess because you are in Christ and being in Christ, you have the same power that Christ has over sin. Therefore, as a saint, you have power over all sin. Say all sin. Here's what I want you to say. I have power over all sin. One, two, three. I have power over all sin. The only sin a saint commits is a sin a saint wants to commit. Think on that for just a moment. Before you commit any sin, you have to make a conscious decision. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit says, don't do this, this is wrong and you ignore the Spirit and you sin. Is that the way it works in your life? It's the way it works in my life. Now there probably is a small percentage of sin of ignorance that you're not yet aware of, but the moment you head that direction, the Holy Spirit will remind you this is sin too. You're like, Holy Spirit, I didn't know that. Can we do it just one time? And he says, no. No, we ain't going to do that. We ain't playing that game. A saint, a Christian, a believer, someone who has been born again, someone who has been born from above, has power over all sin. That's who you are in Christ. You don't have to sin. You will only sin when you choose to sin, when you want to sin. And when you begin to think God's thoughts after Him, then you pretty much stop sinning altogether, don't you? Because you love Him so much because He first loved you so much. You are now crucified in Christ. Nevertheless, you live, but not you, but Christ who lives in you because you are in Christ Jesus. And this is the church. This is who the Christian is. And this is who the 21st century desperately needs to experience and see. Pause. Hit the pause button. Hope in Christ fellowship is a blessed fellowship. We are blessed. And I would say to some degree, in some areas, we achieve above average of most other congregations that we're aware of. But we haven't arrived. Hoping Christ, listen to me carefully. This is not condemnation. This is convicting. We still need to do things radically different than we're doing them today. The times in which we're living require a radical movement of God. Well, you say, Brother Steve, I'm saying that even more than we are now, we need to deny ourselves. We need to take up the cross. And we need to follow Him wherever He leads, wherever He says go, 
and do exactly what he tells us to do. This Sunday morning gathering is hugely important. But this is just a small fraction of what God has called this congregation to. Steve, I'm just being straight with you. I'm just being up front with you right here on the spot. I just don't have any more time to give than shame on you. And that's not condemnation, that's conviction. Shame on you. Here's what you need to do. You need to go into your prayer closet and you need to pray and ask God and say, God, thank you for hitting me between the eyes this morning. And you know what? That preacher's right. I have so allowed myself to be conformed to this world and enveloped by this world, God, that I I just don't have time to serve you the way you've called me to serve you. And, and, And cry out to your Father and say, help me. Help me sort out life. Help me prioritize life. God, help me to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, knowing and fully understanding that all these things that I need to survive in this world, God, you will provide them for me, but God, I must seek you and your kingdom first. And allow God to arrange radical change in your life and in your home and in your family and be prepared to take on Ephesians chapter 6. Huh? The whole armor of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We're at war, church. We are at war. This is not a game. This is war. Christ came and established His kingdom And He's the King of kings and Lord of lords of His kingdom. And His kingdom is opposing Satan's kingdom. And it is all-out war. And in 2021, the battle is hot. They're coming for us. They are coming for us with vengeance. And it's sooner than later. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Church, we've got to put on the armor of God and say, we're God's people, we're standing with Him. Wherever He leads us, whatever He calls us to, we're going with Him fully armored. We are strong in the Lord. We are strong in the strength of His might. We are clothed with the full armor of God. And we are able to stand against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Hey, it ain't the Republicans against the Democrats. And neither one of those parties can claim Christianity. They're evil on both sides. They're dogs on both sides. They're devil on both sides. I don't even want to hear it. If that upsets you, get saved and get over it. Washington is evil and it's full of evil people. Red, white, and blue all over. They're not kingdom minded. They're worldly minded. And they own the media outlets and they own the social media outlets and they're brainwashing you and they're drawing you into a fake battle that accomplishes nothing. This is the battle we're to be involved in. 
It's not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers and the authorities and the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our war is not on planet earth. It's in the heavenly places. It's spiritual in nature. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes on your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit and with all prayer and supplication, that to that end keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. All the who? Not the sinners, but the saints. Praying for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am and you are an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. That's where we are. That's where we are. And I don't believe it'll ever go back that way. It's going to get more intense. The battle's going to get hotter. And you've got to know who you are so you know what to do and how to do it. They came to Jesus at night to arrest him. Peter drew the sword and cut off the soldier's ear. And Jesus said, put your sword up. It's not that kind of battle, Peter. It's not the Jews and the Romans. It's not a racial battle. It's not an ethnic battle. It's not a national battle. It is good and evil in the heavenly places. And we don't fight with bows and arrows and guns and cannons and dynamite and those types of things. We fight by being clothed with the armor of God. And we operate in the might and the power of Almighty God because we are in Christ Jesus. And saints are powerful over sin. Saints are powerful over sin. I know, I know, I know for two weeks we've hammered verse 1 and verse 2. And it's for a reason. We've got to know who we are. To the saints... When you're dealing with believers, you have to constantly remind them who they are and whose they are. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, hoping Christ, we are faithful in Christ Jesus. Know that, believe that, live that, operate in that. How many of you would say, I'm faithful? How many today would just confidently say, yes, count me in, I'm faithful. How many of you would not say, hey, I'm a saint, and I'm faithful. How many would not say that? Because when you begin begin declaring 
that you are a saint in God and you are a faithful saint in God, then people are going to immediately begin to question your faithfulness. Know it. It's going to happen. They're going to ask you questions like, well, how much do you tithe, faithful saint? And your answer is going to be, not enough. And they're going to ask you, how many verses have you memorized this week? And you're going to say, very few. And they're going to ask you, how many sandwiches have you made to feed the poor? And you're going to say, oops, I ate the sandwiches. You're going to say, I've not been super faithful. Here's my question to you. Do you want to be faithful? Do you want to be faithful? Saints want to be faithful. Saints want to be faithful. Why? Because God is faithful to us. When has God not been faithful to you? Never. Never. That's why the Bible says even when we're faithless, He is faithful. We can depend on Him, can't we, church? So how are you going to be faithful to the God who is faithful to you? Are you going to try harder? Are we going to try harder? Do you think trying harder is feeling worse about yourself? That's condemnation. No, we don't feel worse about ourselves. Just the opposite of that. We have to realize, hey, I'm Steve, summer of 76. God condemned me, convicted me, saved me, filled me with the Holy Spirit, put me in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a faithful saint of God. And I want to be better tomorrow than I was today because God is growing me. It's not my performance. It's His performance accomplished on Calvary. I'm finished. I'm in Him. Had a gentleman tell me right before the service started today that he hopes that he does well enough to get into heaven when his days here are over. Nobody gets into heaven being good enough to get in. There was only one good enough to get in. His name is Jesus. And we get in because we're in Him. Amen? Grace. Here's the secret, folks. To the saints who are in Ephesus, grace and peace to you. What does grace do? Grace covers all of our inadequacies. Now that's not encouraging you to be inadequate knowing that more grace will come. Paul dealt with that in Romans, didn't he? Should we continue to sin that grace may abound? And Paul says, God forbid, no! That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, when you sin, God's grace shows up and takes care of that sin. And regardless of how much you were to sin, God's grace is inexhaustible, but don't take Him there. That's where conviction comes into play. So he said, you faithful saints... In the Lord Jesus Christ, you're faithful. And where you're not faithful, God's grace is going to cover your unfaithfulness. 
And He's going to strengthen you to be more faithful because you truly are faithful in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to live in the perfect peace of knowing who you are. You're God's children. And in the end, it's not in the end we win. It's in the, in the end we already won because we won at the cross of Calvary. We are more than conquerors in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who do you think you are? Are you a sinner or a saint? Saints, rejoice today because you know who you are. Sinners, I pray and trust and hope today that the proper amount of condemnation falls upon you right now in this room and through live stream. If you're a sinner who, have, who has never been saved by the grace of God, right now I pray for God's condemnation to fall upon you and I pray His conviction to fall upon you and I pray that God draws you to His Son, Jesus Christ, and gloriously gives you faith and repentance and saves you right now because that's His will. God's will is for you to be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Stand with me this morning. Let's each and every one of us bow our heads and close our eyes. If you're a saint of God by the definition given to us by the Word of God today, let's give God thanks and praise right now. Father, thank You. Thank You. Thank You. That when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, You knew us before the foundation of the world. You knew us. You called us. You predestined us. You saved us. And God, the power that Christ has, we have today. And God, we're forgiven and we're saints. And we rejoice in that today. God, thank You for loving us. Thank You for sending Jesus to die for us. Thank You for allowing Him to endure the wrath that You had stored up for all sinners for all time. God, thank You for grace and peace. Thank You for being very clear and evident of who we are in Christ Jesus today. We're saints, and Your grace and peace is what You want us to experience day by day. But Father, we want to pray now for those who aren't saints. We want to pray for those who are truly sinners, who are lost without Jesus. Father, You know better than us that they desperately, desperately, desperately need Jesus, need the forgiveness of their sins. And Father, we pray right now through the Word and the power of the Holy Spirit that You draw them to You. And as You draw them to You, give them faith to believe and give them repentance to turn from themselves and turn from their sinful ways and turn to Christ as Lord and Savior. Help them to believe and confess and receive Christ right now. 
Fill them with your Holy Spirit. God, do the work that only you can do. It's in the mighty, wonderful, powerful name of Jesus we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.